So, let me ask you a question. What do you do with the experience and the knowledge that everything in creation tends towards decay? Let me give you an example of that. I was sat with John Garner um, Thursday, I think it was, in hospital, talking to a wonderful old saint um, in his 80s about the fact we were praying for his healing, but John said to me, he said, how far do you pray for healing for somebody as old as me? Um, and we had a really good discussion about, well, what do we expect? We know that as we get older, we don't get fitter and stronger. In fact, we expect the opposite to happen. And so John and I had a really good chat, and I did pray for his healing. But in the knowledge that, there's probably fewer years in front of him than there are behind him. How do you cope with the experience and the knowledge that things do go wrong? None of us seriously expects to walk through the next however many years we have, and for everything, every year, to get better and better and better. Nothing to ever go wrong. The easy good life will just go out in front of us. None of us expects that. And yet, we believe in a good God. You, you know, you, if the, the older and wiser the way we are, the more we understand that there is light and shade. I can remember being about 17 and naively having this amazing plan for my life that nothing would get in the way of and would just purely be amazing. I personally would go from glory to glory until I met Jesus. Hasn't quite worked out. Not to say I'm not immensely satisfied with God and with my experience of life. But how do we cope? How do you cope with the experience and knowledge that things do go wrong, that things tend towards decay? How do we live with that? Where's God in that? The creator of all things. What does God do with the knowledge and experience that we will hurt him and let him down? If you know that everything tends towards going wrong occasionally, imagine being God. He never gets anything wrong. He sets up everything as good. And these wonderful human beings that he's created, these things that he loves with all his being, that he created for and by love, constantly hurt him and let him down. Constantly. We've just prayed for the whole world, and we prayed for our more, more local, and we've thought about all the difficulties. How does he live with that? Let's look at the story of the Old Testament. The earliest thing that we talked about in the Old Testament was the fall of Satan. So God has created these heavenly beings that we don't entirely understand. The Bible doesn't tell us a huge amount about angels. And even one of the chief ones of them and a third of the angels decide to rebel against him. And they get to live with him all the time. And he's let down by that. He doesn't destroy them, but he casts them out of his presence. 
And he then creates, out of the chaos and the darkness, a whole universe. I mean, yeah, some of you have better words when I get to this creation stuff than I do. But he creates our world, our universe, our everything for our good. He puts these people in a garden. Now, when it comes to this point, you can kind of see this in two ways. God sets up a garden, he puts them in a garden, he makes everything good for them. You know, it's, it's wonderful. And he walks with them in the cool of the day. They have his presence, he is with them, they are with him. And then they mess it all up. And that's next week's talk, so I'm not going to go there too much. But it's partly what you think is going on in the kind of aftermath of that. God creates all this. What was the point of the garden? Were we supposed to live in the garden forever? If you read the narratives, if you read the beginning of Genesis, what's going on is God gives them this garden so that they can, out of it, flourish and cover the whole earth with their presence. That's the starting point from which they are going to go out and sustain, kind of bring God's governance, brings God's presence and his ways to the whole earth. Some of the original Hebrew has the idea of taking this wild land and tilling it, turning it into useful land. So there's this sense that he sets them up, and then when they fall, when they get it wrong, he just says, that's going to be harder now because you've made a mess. He doesn't, he doesn't say, right, it's all over, you're off, you're out. He, he sets the whole thing up so that it works, and he keeps it working. He says, you've messed up and there's going to be these consequences, but we're still going to go into the whole earth. We're still going to do this amazing plan. And then it goes really, 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 really wrong. There's all kinds of reason behind the flood, but the flood comes and things get messed up and there has to be a new start. But even though deserving destruction of the whole earth, God again makes a new start. He blesses a family. And then as that kind of rolls out again, he picks people, he chooses people, he works through people, Abraham, his family. All of the way through, he's building something to bless everyone else. Human beings repeatedly cause problems. They repeatedly mess up. And the story is God constantly bringing a good plan, creating a new thing, a new chance, a new way. So we get the start, and they mess up, and he fixes it, and he sets them off again. And then we get another big mess, and he fixes it, and he sets them off again. And then we get this family through Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, his 12 children. They go to Egypt. He, out of this womb of Egypt, as it's some kind, sometimes called, he sets up a nation. And Moses, their great champion, builds this nation, leads them to the promised land, And then as that story goes on, even though they repeatedly ignore him, he offers them, hey, come and hang out with me and do life with me and I'll make it amazing. And they go, no, do you know what? I think I know better. That's the repeated story of the Old Testament. I mean, it's a good thing we never do that. And each time God says, here is another chance. Here is another way. So we build this nation and it has judges And the judges are a total mess. Have you read the book of Judges? So then we have kings. And it starts off amazing. Saul seems great. And then he goes off the rails. But then we go, no, we're going to go one better. 
we're going to have David. And then we're going to go one better. We're going to have Solomon. And when you hear the start of Solomon's reign, it's like, yes, finally, the people of God have got it. They're, they're living out in this nation where nobody is poor. Nobody is poor. The poorest people eat off silver. That's a bit of a statement. Imagine if the poorest people in the UK ate off silver. We'd be doing all right, wouldn't we? And, and the other nations are coming. The Queen of Sheba comes and says to them, you teach me. I'm the queen of all this massive... Teach me. Give me wisdom. And Solomon sets up and, and there's no war and things are going in the right direction. It's like, yes, the kingdom has come. And then what? Solomon ends up with, I don't know how many, I've forgotten, 200 wives and how many concubines and do you know what I mean? And he starts following other gods and then you watch the other kings that are like these poor reflections of David and Solomon at their best and awful at their worst. And it, it kind of moves on again. And God brings a consequence for that. But even out of that, he brings them back through Nehemiah, through Ezra. He rebuilds the temple. And all the way through, there's all this prophecy. I'm doing all this great stuff, but I've got even better to come. And I'm staying in the Old Testament. So, you know, we can move on to all of that when we get there. The point of the story is, God's constant interaction in the world is for the good of humanity. He creates good plans for his people again and again and again. So let me land in two Bible verses in Genesis. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. God speaks to Abraham way, way back at the start and he says, I will make you into a great nation. Imagine somebody said that to you. I'm going to make you, you and your wife, he probably meant, you two, into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I'll put a curse on anyone who puts a curse on you. All nations on earth will be blessed because of you. Abraham is not a perfect man. Sarah is not a perfect woman. We get to read the story and see that they're a mess. But this is what God says. I'm going to use you to do great things. And I'm going to use you to bless and spread my love and blessing wherever I can. And then generations later, in Genesis 50 verse 20, we have Joseph. Following Joseph being, you know named as the kind of chosen one, you know, fancy coat and all that, technical a dream coat, and he, he's set apart, he's then sold into slavery, he ends up in Egypt, and then he rises, well, he rises slowly as a slave, then he gets put in prison, it kind of all goes wrong again, and then he rises into Pharaoh's court, and then he saves the nation of Egypt and his own family and the nations around and his brothers are the ones who sell him into slavery. And he says at the end of the story to his brothers when they've been reconciled, you planned to harm me, but God planned it for good. He planned to do what is now being done. He wanted to save many lives. Now you can read that in two ways. You can say, right, God had a plan for Joseph, so he thought, what I'll do with Joseph is I'll sell him into slavery, I'll throw him in prison, 
and I'll put him through a whole load of rubbish so that eventually he can do this good thing for me. I'm not sure that's what that's saying. Humanity, these blokes, these 12 blokes, fall out, family fall out, all kinds of issues, do an awful thing to their sibling, their half-sibling, and he gets sold into slavery. And I feel like what's going on is not that God is sitting on his throne as sovereign going, yes, this is fine, I'm quite happy with Joseph being dealt this way, this is fine, because ultimately I've got a plan. That's not how I see God's heart and action within this. What I see and what I think is going on is that God is constantly working in what's happening. Have you ever seen a potter make a pot on a spinning disc, whatever it's called? Um, imagine, imagine that the clay is working against them. They're in the power, the clay is just completely moldable. And sometimes in the prophets of the Old Testament refer to us as the clay and God as the potter. But whereas the clay is just a lump and it's purely down to the skill of the potter, in what's happening in these, in these histories is that God is moulding people who don't do what he wants. So it's like the clay is constantly acting against him. He's shaping it in a way that is going to bring goodness and grace, and every perfect thing to humanity. But the clay is going, no thanks. So he's both shaping it with one hand towards where it's going, and fixing the mess with the other hand, and he will get to where he's going. But the human beings have so much autonomy, he's given them so much freedom because he loves them, they get to slow that down or work with him. So the clay works with the potter or not. And he, in the end, will get it to where it's supposed to be. And occasionally, he may need to just go, starting again. But his heart and his love is not to put people through difficulty so that they get better, but to work with them in their mess and keep creating. Keep creating good things. To keep loving. See, God has a good plan. When we say that, it's like, Yeah, God has a plan, and it's good in the end, but most of it, it might be a bit painful along the way. And that's true. But I believe that the pain comes from the mess of living in a messy world with messy people. It's not that God goes, I want you to have some bad times because you'll learn. It's that he knows we live in a messed up world, but he keeps creating for good. Because the truth is that God is all-loving, all-caring, and has a good plan for all of us in every moment. So we know that things are going to go wrong, but actually God plans all for good. So what? Stevie asked us to think about a moment when, when things just went well, when God was, we were aware of God when things were going well, when whatever it might be, things were just great. And, and, and I remembered a, a moment in my life where um, within a few weeks of each other, God kind of answered the big resource question I had to do a big thing I felt we were supposed to do together. He also um, brought this guy to faith from nowhere, which I had the privilege of doing with him, and, and life with 
kind of us as a family was all going well at the same point. It was one of those moments when I just felt like I am just walking through sunlit trees and valleys all the time and everything is going great. And in that time, I trusted God 100%. If I knew that I knew that I knew that God was asking me to do something completely nuts, I'd have done it. Because in the midst of that kind of mountaintop moment, I would have done it. But what about the lowest moments, the most difficult moments? What if you acted with trust that God is all-loving, always has a good plan, and wants the best for you in every single moment of life? But what Jasmine said was really helpful. We've got to be honest about the fact that we have negative emotions. We have feelings that are not always great. And that's okay. But what, after we've acknowledged that, if we said, I believe in a God who always wants the best for me and always has a good plan. I can trust him. I can read the Old Testament with all its war and pain and mess and still find a God of love and goodness. Because that's what he wants and that's who he is. What if every single time something went wrong, in the same way that God does, you said, this is not the end. I'm going to go again. I'm going to trust again. I'm going to believe in a God of goodness and love. Because if I asked any one of you, do you believe in a good God of love? Of course we do. But in every single moment, do we act as if that is how he is? Can you imagine if we lived that way? I'm not talking about, I'm just going to smile through it all. Can you imagine if we acknowledge the reality of the situation that we've, we're in, however good or bad that is, and said, God wants to do good from this start. You know, my marriage has fallen apart and I am in absolute pit. The person I love most has died. My business has fallen apart. I've lost my job. My child is struggling. My parent is struggling. In those horrible moments, what if you said, I'm real about this, this hurts, but I believe in a God who can even turn this for good, who is all good, all loving, and will take this somewhere good. What if in every moment we believe that? What if every time we open the Bible, we said, this is a story about a God of love and some messed up human beings? And that was our starting point. If we always, always, always were able to trust like that, if we encourage one another in that kind of trust, we would be people who everyone wanted to be around. We had that unshakable trust in a good, good, good God. the band want to come up we're gonna I want you to imagine and think what it would look like and I want us to think about how do we get there if you just walk out and go yeah I'm just gonna believe in a good God a bit more that's great but 
what would it look like? And it may be as simple as just saying, I don't know how you read your Bible, but however you read your Bible, putting something on it, putting a note to yourself, again, remember that God is always good and is working everything out for my good and everybody's good. And that's one of the key things. God's not just working it out for David's good or for your personal good. He's working it out for everybody's good. We're all his favourite. But what if we wrote something that reminded ourselves that God is working this for good? This pain I'm walking through, this great thing I'm walking through, this blessing that I'm walking into, my business is exploding and taking off, I've got a new opportunity, I've got new friends, I've got this person I've been praying for for years, they're coming to faith. God wants to use this for good. He's got more. What if we always had that thought? So what would it look like? What can you do? What habits can you start? We're going to praise, we're going to worship together, and, and just say to God, what would it look like for me to trust you more? What, what practical habits can we do together, God? What are you saying? What can I do about this? What would it look like to trust you more, to believe that you're creating everything for good more? And to live that way. So let's stand, sing and worship, focus, connect with God.